Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Hi guys and welcome back to the podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share some really exciting news and that is that our Start Your Side Hustle online course is officially live and ready for you to download and start working on your side hustle. It is a mix of book content but also video, audio, extra worksheets, lots of examples and my personal experience in starting my side hustle and a so much more like deeper version of everything that I've taught over the last 10 years. I'm so excited. It nearly killed me making this course, but it feels really nice to have it live. You can access it through the website. There was a course tab at the top. And if you get in before the 5th of October, you can get the early bird price, which will save you $40. And there's also a bunch of bonus resources. So pretty much all the paid resources on my website, like the first aid kit, the ebook, and the Just Start audio series, you'll get all of those for free instantly. So save yourself $40, download all of those before the 5th of October, and enjoy the course. I'm so excited to see you in there. There's a private group, which I'll be checking in on. There's a resources page, which I'll be updating on a regular basis, but lots of juicy content in there of everything that you need to make it happen. And hopefully lots of accountability by having to work through the course rather than just putting a book down and forgetting about it. All right. I can't wait to hear what you think and I'll see you in class. And on today's episode, we are sharing part three of our Make Your Mark series, which was a event collaboration that I did with Squarespace uh, in earlier this year. And one of our amazing panelists that we had on the night was Will, who is a co-founder of award-winning salsa brand, Fella. Will and his co-founder, Andy, launched their business at the very beginning of COVID lockdowns in 2020. They left their jobs, put up their life savings, turned over just $11,000 in 2019-2020 financial year. But then by 2021-2022, they grew the company to $4.5 million in revenue and were awarded Australia's fastest growing company. This is an incredible story. Will is really down to earth and gives amazing startup advice about jumping in, taking the leap, backing yourself, doing your research before you go, go all in, um, but also building brand values and a community and the role that his website played in um, helping to build their community and um, connect with their audience during lockdowns when their first strategy was to put their products in um, bars and, and pubs and things like that. So lots of lessons along the way, so much amazing advice about how they have built the brand over the last three years. I think it's now at about $8 million revenue and they're looking to double that with their second round of funding. But a really straight up relatable 
chat considering how amazing uh, this feat has been. He also touches on mentors, the importance of carving out a point of difference and so much more. Enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. And if you've been looking for business coaching, get in touch before the end of the year and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Will from Fella Fella Drinks. Is that do you guys do Fella Drinks or just Fella? Yeah, it's a business name, but yeah, Fella yeah. is fine. So how's it going? Yeah, good. Nice to have you here. Um, yeah, and awesome to meet you at the Make Your Mark event. It feels like forever ago now. That does. Uh, that was such a fun event. Such a good crew there. Uh, good turnout. Yeah, heaps of fun yeah. stuff about. So, so good. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. I'd love to kick off by uh, hearing about your awesome startup story. It's. I feel like I've been telling everyone about it since you started. Uh, since I heard it um, a few about a month ago now. But yeah, jump in and tell us a little bit about where fellas started. You know how you, you the leap that you took. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No worries. So, um, yeah, I think it was, it was obviously about three years ago. So me and my co-founder, uh, Andy Scorer, um, we both worked together at Pernod Ricard, which is one of the biggest alcohol companies in in the world. So have a really great kind of portfolio of brands, that type of thing. And we we're just chatting. I think both of us had always really wanted to do our own thing um, and always wanted to start our own businesses. And I think once we got chatting, we kind of got to know, like, you know, we'd all had these ideas that, we created and never kind of followed through with that type of thing. And um, we kind of saw this opportunity bubbling away over in the US with the seltzer, seltzer market. Um, and yeah, we'll kind of, we did a little bit of due diligence, you know, do we think we can kind of get something up? Do we think we can, um, you know, tackle this kind of industry? And obviously it wasn't really around in Australia at the time. Um, so yeah, we just made sure we could kind of make it in time and, it was kind of a hard decision for us because we did really enjoy our time at Pernod Ricard. Um, it's a great company, great people, um, great culture, um, and we wanted to do it right by then. We didn't obviously want to um, create something while we were there. So for us, and it was probably one of the biggest reasons why um, we managed to kind of get up and running and up to a sprint so quickly is we decided to go all in. We pretty much mm. just decided to quit our jobs. Um, I think it was... January 2020, I quit my job and then Andy kind of went out the door probably about two or three weeks later Wow! Uh, and then just kind of got started. We just <laughs> looked at, you know, the brand, working with some amazing kind of creatives, um, Tim Schweiger, who's been our creative director, uh, consultant for the last three years, did a fantastic job with the branding um, and brand strategy that we worked with them on. Um, and then working with all kind of types of other partners to create the liquid, the packaging, um, the go-to-market strategy and, and that type of thing because we knew that, you know, this this was a, a space that was going to potentially blow up and there was going to be a lot of competition. Uh, so if we were going to do it, we had to move very, very quickly. So, mm. um, so yeah, it was, it was an exciting time. It was nerve-wracking time. Um, but, yeah, we decided to go head first, jump into it, yeah. got the brand up and running by, I think it was June 2020. Um during COVID, obviously, is the uh, the big thing that happened in between quitting our jobs and getting the brand and company up and running. But um, but yeah, got it up and running by June, and then you know by by spring there was about 40, 50 competitors in market as well. And wow. yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy first spring and summer. But yeah, it was um it was it was a it was a big leap. But um but yeah, it was it was exciting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh no, it's I have so many questions. Um, firstly, what was like 
the research you did and how long was the lead up before you um, decided to take the leap? Like what kind of, obviously you're in the industry, so you, you knew it pretty well, but was there anything, you know, in particular that really stood out that was like, you know, and how long did it? Yeah. Look, I think it was, it wasn't long. I think for mm-hmm. us, it was just like, could we create, because our product has a brand new way of making alcohol. So we don't mm-hmm. actually take a, a distilled spirit or we don't take um, alcohol someone else's developed. We actually had to come up with a whole new way of brewing an alcohol base in the same method as beer. Uh, so again, that, that in itself was the hardest thing. I was just trying to figure out who could help us figure out how do you ferment a, a clean, clear, crisp uh, alcohol base um, that would form like the, the base of our product. So again, that that was probably the, the longest thing. So I think, you know, we identified the right types of people who could do that. Um, they said it was probably possible. And then that was, you know, that took a month before we actually decided to jump and do anything about it and quit our job. Mm. Again, it was just getting our ducks in a row. It's like, A, yeah. is it possible to create a product? B, is it, you know, um, you know, feasible? Um, and do we mm-hmm. think we're up and running in time? Where yeah. our target had to be, we had to have the products ready and in market by the end of winter, uh, mm-hmm. spring and summer is, you know, that was going to be the first kind of summer of seltzer um, in the market. So Yeah, massive. Um, and how much research were you able to do or predictions of whether, you know, Australia was ready for it and that people would like it? And, you know, I think something is really interesting. Like I think when, when you hear January 2020, I just like get a bit of a twitch because it's like you almost, you can remember like if it's almost like it's do if only we knew what was coming, you know. <laughs> like anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, but you know, like you're like you, yeah, we think that Australia is ready for this and it's gonna be great. But then everyone goes into lockdown. So, um, yeah, how much research or you know, kind of confidence? Where do you get that confidence to be like, yeah, we think people can do it? And then also, how did you have to pivot <laughs> to? you know, stick with the plan and and the follow-through knowing, you know, you couldn't get it out there in front of people? No, 100%. Look, I think um, both Andy and I had pretty kind of good knowledge of the RTD and just overall alcohol market uh, mm-hmm. at the time. And so Australia's got a very kind of mature pre-mix and RTD market. It's actually one of the biggest in the world um, because there's been those heritage brands of Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, mm. Smirnoff, those guys who have been in the RTD market here for you know, 20 years. Um, there's nothing like that around the world. You know, the US only just really kind of moved into RTDs with um, the seltzer boom and now it's really just starting to kind of grow and take off over the last... Is RTD pre-mixed stuff or... Yeah. yeah so ready-to-drink um, oh, yeah. pre-mixed drinks. So, um, so yeah, the market was always here. We saw... Because it was already a huge market. I think it was about three to billion, three to four billion in size uh, of retail value. But we... We just saw an opportunity because obviously the craft beer market had really changed the the face of the beer category. Uh, so all these amazing brands um, like Stone and Wood, Bolter, Young Henry's coming through, um, and really kind of turned it on its head. And for us, we looked at this RTD uh, premix market, and it was really these old kind of heritage brands. There was no, um, young independent craft brands in that space. Uh, so for us, we saw the opportunity with this kind of seltzer boom coming through of this, you know, light, um, you know, low calorie kind of space, which is definitely where the market trends are going. Um, if you could create a brand that was, you know, really based on Australian culture, lifestyle, and really kind of spoke to um, Australians, then, you know, there's a really big opportunity here for um, 
a great product, a great brand. Um, and yeah, so we we saw a huge opportunity and that's why we wanted to move pretty quickly on it. Um, and then obviously, yeah, I think it was January we quit our jobs. February, March, obviously COVID hit. Um, so again, it's it's that time where I think at the at the time you're obviously not, you don't really know where it's going to go. Like mm. you didn't know it was going to be a one to two year thing where, you know, you can leave your house and type of thing. So um, but again, you've you've poured your life savings into something. You've quit your jobs. Um, I found out I think about three weeks after I left my job that I was having a having my first child. So okay. and add that to the to the stresses of um, diving headfirst into it. Um, but no, again, we were just like, look, use we could use this opportunity or this um, hurdle to our advantage a little bit because. Mm. We knew that as things started to lock down, granted things like on-premise, which is like bars, restaurants, were closing, and that was going to be one of our key channels to launch and grow and that type of thing and drive trial, um, that it's going to close for everyone. So even the big guys who, mm. you know, they own a lot of the taps, you know, they have a lot of that distribution and, you know, the music festivals where, you know, it's generally the big big multinationals who, who own those kind of spaces. So... Mm. They can't go and sample their drinks to, to, you know, one million kids over a year. So, again, it kind of brings them down to, to our level a little bit. Um, yeah. And then, obviously, the digital space is kind of where you then – that's the playing field. So, we knew that, obviously, for us, um, that's where we could potentially, you know, make some inroads on them. Um, and, you know, working with you know, platforms like Squarespace where, you know, at the time we had pretty small budgets because we had just self-funded the business mm. – you know, to be able to kind of go in and create our website ourselves, set it up, you know, change it on the fly when we realized things weren't working, drive sales through the platform, drive leads through the platform as well, um, really helped us in kind of getting up to speed pretty quickly um, at a pretty pivotal time, um, mm. which is good. So, I like, do you, would you say you use your website for like, because you're, I feel like you're really, um, closely connected to your target market in terms of the, you know, communication is your mailing list and like, you know, you run a lot of competitions and things like that. Is that like, you know, that community building through the site? That is a big part of it for us. Um, it's probably been more so in the last year, I would say. But, um, but yeah, we definitely, I mean, in those early days as well, when you didn't have distribution and say, well, worse or Coles, that type of thing, mm. um, you know, that is your market, you know, the online kind of mailing list you have, you know, we did first a, um, uh, a raise through one of the platforms online and we use that kind of um, pull to get our first mailing list that we kind of put into Squarespace uh, mm. to, to push stuff out. And then, um, yeah, from there, you know, we would give, send them the latest deals, you know, they could buy direct from us um, mm. and then also send them into kind of different venues and that type of thing once they came mm. online. So it was definitely something we used. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we chatted about this on the night and Flex and I caught up the other week for a podcast and that same conversation around, um, you know, the your website is your your um, property, um, but it's also, yeah, a place that brings legitimacy too. So it's like, you know, there's only so much that you can get from social media and things, but like, you know, and if you're not in person being able to <laughs> give me hands, I want a drink, yeah. coming to the site is like, your personality as a brand. 100%. I think for ourselves, a good point. I mean, we couldn't get out of our houses at the time to to go into venues, to go selling product, mm. to get them trialing it. So again, once they did take it, you know, 
for us, we had to have a central hub that people could go to to find out, you know, where could they actually get this product. Mm. So store locator was a massive one for us yeah. um, and really just acted as our hub to, you know, um, direct people to and, and know where they could get our products and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and you're right, when we're kind of going into uh, EDG and Coles and having those kind of discussions throughout, get back, getting ranging in those places, you know, again, it's it's your calling card, it's your business card. So mm. of having a really strong website and yeah. for them to take you seriously as well, that you are kind of up against the big guys. And Yeah. Um, it actually yeah. just gave me, it made me think too, because it's like, you know, there's, and I've had other people on the podcast who've gone into, you know, those big distributing channels as well. And it's like, like um, testing or, you know, justifying your market by building your audience first, you know, and like being able to export a mailing list with, you know, data for that from, you know, a website traffic means that you've got an audience um, proof of concept too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And they're always much more engaged than, you know, a lot mm. of the actual audience as well. You've actively come to your website to, to look at mm. brand, find out more about it, um, find out more about your story, which has really been important for us. Mm. And when we're trying to stand out from, you know, the competition, a lot of the other brands in market that launched at the same time, they really focus on their product. So they, mm. for us, we wanted to launch more of a lifestyle brand. So there's a lot more of a storytelling element there that you need to explain about who we are, what we stand for. Um, and that's obviously where we use the website to to kind of have that longer form um, yeah. intro. Dialogue, yeah. And so let's jump into that around, you know, what did you do about, you know, carving out who your audience was? And, you know, you guys, yeah, you do festivals, but you also have worked with creatives to fund some art being made and things like that. But, yeah, tell us a little bit about the target market that you kind of carved out for Fella and then how have you gone about building that as like an online community? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I think it was it all came down to, when Andy and I left the business, we always wanted to build a brand that kind of followed our passions and really kind of um, fit with what we believed in. So uh, we also looked at the US market and what was happening over there. So we knew that come July, August, there was going to be 30, 40 brands getting in front of the, the retailers. Um, mm. Everyone's going to be fighting for shelf space. And we knew that pretty much everyone was going to copy, you know, White Claw over in the US. So Slimline Can, Round Logo, Obscure kind of Wave or Surf Reference. Um, so for us, just knowing that, we just wanted to do something that was completely different. You know, we mm. wanted to a different shape can. We went with our beer can um, and just wanted to create a brand that was a lifestyle brand first rather than a product. Mm. And that kind of definitely kind of put us on the right track of, you know, we wanted to create something that, you know, Aussie drinkers were proud to share, that they kind of mm. really buy into, um, and really kind of match their kind of culture beliefs. Um, and, yeah, just really, you know, something that they could go to their friends, take to their friend's house and really be able to tell that story of, you know, this is a local story, local brand, um, and, you know, they're taking on the big guys and, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very Instagrammable. Was that was that taken into account? <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. I think again, if you can nail the, if you can get an awesome tasting product with something that looks really good in hand, that is shareable to friends at a event, but also shareable online, you've mm. kind of got a perfect um, product from a bootstrapping or a startup perspective. Because mm. again, for us, we had tiny budgets back then. Um, we still obviously have small budgets compared to everyone else. So if your brand or your product can do the heavy lifting for you in those early days, like if it is inherently um, encouraging people to share it with their friends anyway because they think, hey, this is a great product, it looks great, mm. 
um, you know, it gets that snowball effect for you, which has um, been a big part of, you know, the success we've seen locally mm-hmm. and other things that we target. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's part of it. And then also finding that careful balance between, you know, the where the market saw this category going, which was probably more female-led, um, female-skewed, while we wanted something that was really kind of open to, to everyone. So obviously... Yeah. I mean that guys felt um, comfortable drinking, and you know, anyone could feel comfortable drinking and sharing with with their friends. Yeah, I love that, um, and I really like that idea of like the lifestyle brand because you know we're buying into brands that we can authentically align with with our values. But I think also we're sick of being sold to, you know. So it's like come and be where we are, you know, whether it's a festival or with artists that we love or, you know, I, <clears throat> I did make my friend enter because I thought it might be a, a conflict of interest <laughs> to enter a competition to win a bar fridge. Or was it Smeg or something? Oh, yeah, nice. Um, didn't win. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, those kind of things that really show that, like, yeah, when we get you and we understand you. Yeah. And I think that's what I find that the big multinational companies, they, they really struggle with creating these lifestyle brands that really tap into the right culture market, um, really understand the audience and, and these local markets. So for us, that was the first thing we did. We just chatted to so many people around, you know, what are they what are their passion points? Mm. What are they up for in drinks? Um, and for us, it's all about facilitating that kind of good times as well between friends. So um so yeah, and then obviously we throw that through into our, our comms as well. Um yeah. I mean our proposition we always kind of uh, launched this well with was um, you know, welcome to a land of fizz. So everything yeah. that we've done over the last kind of couple of years really comes back to this kind of core proposition of uh, the land, which has really inspired a lot of our kind of culture, our tone of voice, uh, our brand, um uh the name Fella, the uh, gradients on the can, you know, come from sunsets, like um, yeah. coastal culture, that type of thing. Um, and then the fizz is really that unique Aussie stoke for life um, mm. attitude that really we want to try and instill in everything we do and our communications all the way down to our photography and our treatments and stuff like that. So, yeah. again, it was really anchoring itself in something that was truly Aussie. Um, and, yeah, I think the team and Tom did a fantastic job and really kind of bringing that to life. Um, yeah, I love that. It's such good advice because it's just like, you know, carving out, be clear about who you are and what you're creating and, you know, give it like, you know, meaning. So it's not just like, you know, a branding strategy of color that someone just hands you, but it's well thought out and then stick to it, you know, and and I think that's so, it obviously works. Um and is a sign that, you know, people understand, especially if you're new to the market, they un- they can understand quicker who you are and what you stand for. And then when you're consistently showing up with that, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, these guys. 100%. Yeah. It's, um, it's been great. Like the brand, we've been able to iterate off the back of that. You know, we've got our new doubles range, which obviously um, we've just launched and that was an easy tweak of colours for um, that product, which still um, looks very kind of within the world of Fella and that type of thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's been an awesome kind of um, brand uh, designed yeah. within. So Yeah. And let's go back quickly to um, the launch. So I don't have the statistics in front of me, but, the you know, your first year in business, I think it's about 11,000, you know, profit. And then last year, was it that you went on to win um, – most profitable company in Australia? Oh, 
So yeah, you, you tell yeah, the story. Financial year, yeah. I think we yeah. kind of finished with around about eleven, twelve thousand dollars in revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Then, yeah, so we did. We won the AFR's fast starter competition for twenty twenty two. So I think around about then it was around about five mil revenue. Um, so yeah, we've we've been able to grow pretty quickly. I think yeah. uh, we've just ticked over eight mil for last financial year, um, and we're hoping to kind of double that over the next year as well. So it's um, it's definitely been a, a fast ride, and I think yeah. that comes with its own challenges in itself. You know, yeah, uh, funding the business, funding the growth, um, bringing on the team to support it. Um, we've been really lucky with the team that have come on over the last year. Um, we've got a fantastic marketing director and Zoe Wendland uh, and sales director and um, Greg Litzner have come over. Um, and those guys have done a fantastic job in kind of building the team um, and also kind of continuing the journey with mm. Mark Creative in terms of building out this brand and taking it to new audiences kind of around yeah. Australia. So. And what was the did in that first year where yeah you turn over eleven thousand you've got a baby and you've lost you know don't have a job and you're locked down in COVID, did you have a sense of no you know like let's stick at it or was there like a moment of shit let's go and get a safety net um or what was the you know could you have predicted the eight million dollar sales you know three years later? Uh, no, definitely not. I think we always went in wanting to create a business that was self-sustaining. Um, so obviously we've always kind of worked to building this business with a profit. Um, so again, we didn't bring in lots of money at the start to then just try and, you know, grow this business outrageously from there. We always wanted to build a solid business that we could, you know, really live off for the next kind of like, you know, 10 to 12 years. So, mm. um, so no, I mean, there was definitely nervousnesses. I think when you just don't know what's going to happen, it's just, you know, I think first of all, we were looking to launch an on-premise um, but again, that kind of fell flat. So we had to pivot to look at retail. Uh, and again, trying to get into EDG and Coles at that time, when you've got products which is non-existent, the category is non-existent, you've got 40 other brands going for it. Every single major company in the world, whether it's Diageo, Perno, Lion, CB, are all throwing their hats in the ring at it. Um, yeah, you kind of, you get nervous, but I don't think we ever were like, look, should we get some mm. parts? jobs or um I think it's probably a testament as well to our partners and who mm. really supported us through it. Um and you know definitely gave us that kind of motivation and um support to to keep mm. going. Because you guys um, did a bit of a friends and family raise as your first round. Yeah. Yeah. So we did uh friends and family raise uh I think it was within the first six months, which is quite a small one. Um mm. And then we managed to grow the business for about three years off the back of that, um, mm. off the, the profit of the business. So um, we've just com- recently completed our um, second uh, kind of proper kind of capital raise, um, which mm. has been great. Um, so some really great partners coming into the business. But um, again, that's setting us up for, you know, 100% growth, hopefully on on last year. Yeah. Um, pretty great. But, um, but no, it was, yeah, it was, I don't mm. think Andy and I ever, looked back and were like, we should have stayed in the job. Uh, yeah. But look, it, it all moved very quickly. And obviously once the kind of category started to take off, we knew we had something something there. So, again, it's, yeah. it's definitely had its challenges over the last few yeah. years. Um, but again, I was going to ask that. Do you think it's, um, it's more risk-taking and maybe, you know, anxiety-provoking to, um, you know, bootstrap it and throw your own savings into it or maybe, you know, to, to get it off the ground or to do a big raise that's going to, you know, take you into the tens of millions? 
<laughs> there was something nice with bootstrapping it and just knowing that it's your own money. It's, you know, there is a little bit there of, you know, some friends and family raised, which again in itself can be um add some extra pressure. But at the levels that we raised that it wasn't wasn't anything too too large. But yeah, I think it's it's been since we've raised that money that I feel it's like you get more pressure on you because again, you want to deliver for your friends and family, your investors, that type of thing. So I think that in itself brings extra pressure. Um mm. Just, you know, you want to do good for them and you want to kind of make sure that they kind of get a good return from what, what you're doing. But um, no, I mean, it's it's still the first two to three years were, you know, were great because I guess we knew that, you know, it was only us that we were potentially letting down and, you know, that's why we're kind of head first into it. Mm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, what about so, like mentors or people along the way that have helped with you guys? I mean, it obviously sounds like you've got a good relationship with your business partner, Andy. And then, you know, I think sometimes people often come and be like, you know, should I get a business partner? And, you know, but I think when you're going all in, you've got someone else in the industry who knows it and you can keep each other sane. But yeah, yeah. other mentors or people outside of you that have kind of helped, you know, guide the way? Yeah, 100%. I think um, I made the point in the the meeting how good launching something with a co-founder is. I think when we've both, I think Andy and I both spoke about this, we've always had ideas that we've thrown against the wall and for whatever reason, you know, we haven't kind of gone through with it. But I think especially for me, like having someone who's there just as excited about an opportunity um, and an idea um, really helps motivate you and keeps you on track and keeps you kind of like really kind of getting up every day and pushing for that idea. Mm. Um, so definitely having the co-founder launching um, has been awesome. Um, and then I think from a mentor perspective, you know, even though we had a pretty solid understanding of um, the category, there's always stuff that you need to learn. And I guess for us, a lot of it was on their finance kind of side of things. Mm-hmm. So um, we've had two great advisors over over the last kind of um, three years who have kind of sat on like that advisory board. Um, one who's now kind of CFO at Carlsberg uh, in Paris and another one who's mm-hmm. Um, ex-Lion um, from a CFO position and, and doing some other stuff as well in the background with some family investment offices. But, yeah, I think it's it's super important to have that. Just A, to know that you're on track, that you're kind of doing things best practice, that, you know, they'll bring an extra viewpoint to you, both of you that I guess you've, you know, you've been in the trenches for so long, you've been so focused on stuff. So it's sometimes nice having a, a third party come in and just be like, well, have you, have you thought of it from this mm. thing? Um, if you approach this problem like this, um, and yeah, so I think it's, it's been essential for us. Yeah. So, and I know that like a bit backtracking here a little bit, but, um, I remembered when you were on the panel talking about teaching your brand and the brand values and, you know, as you've had grown, grown quickly, you know, hiring quickly, but I'm interested because. I think that one of the things that you also mentioned was like, you know, having your point of difference in the way that you formulated um, the product or Bruder um, technical terms, uh, but like keeping true to that as well. Like how hard is it, you know, what's the process been like establishing what you stand for as a brand, you know, that real down to earth um, image and, you know, community build, but then also from a product side, and then making sure that everyone that you bring into the fold, the land of fizz, um, is a representation of that. Yeah, no, 100%. I think for us it was, and we were pretty kind of all over the place probably for the first year or two with our brand, um, 
But I think it was really sitting down with a core team to kind of really nut out that brand strategy of, you know, what do we actually stand for, um, yeah. pillars that we have for our brand values. Um, and then more recently, we've kind of done what's the internal brand values? Like what mm. do we stand for as a business? How do we show up every day? What do we expect from, you know, our employees to, you know, buy into to our culture? And I guess that's not necessarily um, them buying into our culture. It's us looking at when we're hiring someone, we've got that core list of, you know, these are what we stand for. This is what we believe. We want people who are like-minded that, you know, are going to fit in well and really going to hit the ground running and and want to be part of something that, you know, we're creating. So I think it was pretty um, essential getting those kind of, you know, what are our brand principles? What's our brand values? Um, and, you know, having those part of our kind of hiring um uh, opportunities as well mm. has been important so yeah and um uh living it too you know like you guys have to obviously be it in order to you know set that tone in into, and then putting yeah. all those processes into the business you know we're looking to support and upskill um our employees and stuff like mm. that give them opportunities that you know can help make them kind of you know um, better at what they do and um kind of help them develop in areas where they mm. want to do and progress so yeah I mean you've shared lots of tips but is there something that's like kind of stand out that you would say that helped you guys to cut through as a brand and like you know the key to that success that you've had in such a short amount of time yeah I think it was those two points I think it's if you can create I think focusing on being pretty product centric and creating something that not only just looks good but just tastes or just works extremely well um, and just really has a really good uh, customer experience is, is pivotal, especially when you're mm. a small startup brand and you don't have a lot of money to um, spend on media and um, partners and ambassadors and stuff like that. Um, again, it's been so uh, essential for us to have a product that tastes amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've won a lot of awards for it. Um, it's, it looks great as well. But, again, that helps kind of that snowball effect of people kind of sharing it with others. Um, and then I think as well, looking at the market you're entering into, doing a lot of work into what is everyone doing and, you know, what's the gap in that market? How can mm. you stand out? Um, again, it's you can easily fall into that trap of something starting to kind of take off in a category is to, to jump into it, do what everyone else is doing. Um, but having the kind of nerve to step outside of that a little bit, um, bring a new kind of like angle to it um, and something that's exciting. And I think retailers kind of get excited about that as well. So even if there's a category that is booming and it is pretty crowded, they might look for something that just sits on the periphery of that and looks slightly different and brings a new element to it. So I think, yeah, as a small brand, look at what you can differentiate to try and, Mm. and stand out from the pack. Yeah, great advice. Do you think that your um, previous experience in the industry, like, was you know pretty pivotal? Like, I think that often sometimes people can come up and see, you know, oh, we should bring this here or whatever. But um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, out of interest of whether you could have done the same thing had you not been from the industry, you know? Oh yeah, we've we've talked about this a little bit. Um, I think. Potentially we could have done, but I don't think we could have moved as fast mm. as we did. Um, so I think just knowing the intricacies of the alcohol market, mm. uh, obviously Andy had a lot of contacts in the industry as well, which was awesome and fantastic. Um, but, yeah, look, I think I think we wouldn't have been able to move as fast. I think yeah. a lot of people can go into this area in alcohol um, without experience, but I would always say, you know, partner up with someone who's got 
you know, some knowledge of the industry. Um, and that's the thing. I think for, for me, it was always every kind of role that I've done over the last two to three years has always been about um, building some kind of um, experience and knowledge about, you know, the the category I'm interested in. Mm. For a startup rum company for three years, um, which was great experience. So learning how to kind of grow and build a lifestyle culture brand with, you know, very small budgets, um, which was a great brand, a great team. Um, and then after that, looking at, okay, now that I've had the startup experience, you know, mm. about the corporate, like what's the commercial deals that need to be done? What's the commercial side mm. of things you need to know? Um, so for me, I've always kind of wanted to take learnings from every role that I've done to yeah. hope to build something that, you know, one mm. day own thing. Um, and I think it has been very similar as well. So I think it's, yeah. we kind of got together at Perno and um, it was really kind of the right time for us to both mm. kind of jump out. And we had very kind of complementary um, skill sets as well. Yeah. I love that. It checks out as to why, you know, you built your own website and did the the bootstrap because, yeah, I this is the same like to this day. I think I shared I just recently rebuilt my website and that um, the, the control of that you can have and feeling close because, you know, I've had clients and also been in this experience in the past where you don't have like knowledge of how your website is built or works and things go wrong and you, you know, are in the lurch of where how to fix it you know it's a Sunday um but yeah so it's that keeping close to the elements of the business that are important which is community building from the ground up yeah 100 percent. I think obviously it's there's some of the challenges as well once you grow and obviously having to try and let some of that go um when it is just the two of you for two and a half years and then you start to bring on the team so uh, I think that's where we've been pretty pumped with the team we've brought on that, you know, you're confident to start letting things go and to let everyone else kind of take over different yeah. business where, you know, they are the specialists at. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we're going to yeah. be the team now, which is great. Mm, so good. Hey, and final tip, uh, question for you. What would your number one tip be? Do you advise people to throw their life savings into a, a brand um, or, you know, someone who's looking to start a product or, you know, go out on their own? What would your advice be, number one tip? Yeah, 100%. Look, I've, I think what I've realised over the last so 10 years of just having ideas and, and that type of thing is that the crux of it is just just go for it, really. Mm. Like I think it's you you realize if you're a smart person, it's really about problem solving at the end of the day. Once you jump out and you really kind of dive into something, even if that idea doesn't necessarily work or come to life straight away, you'll figure out a way to pivot that idea into something that taps into the opportunity and creates something that's, you know, mm. I think you know, when we first launched, we had some first ideas of the design for the product, which uh, on the floor now, which is probably where they need to stay. And <laughs> now we're in a kind of different place. So I think um, just go for it. I yeah. think do your due diligence first. I think do as much research as you can to know that, you know, is there an opportunity? Um, can you do it for a right kind of um, margin? Um, is it going to cost you too much? And then mm. just go and do it. Because I think yeah. you'll be surprised with how many people will want to help. Um, how much value you can drive out of different companies just from being the small person, um, mm. small guy. And, yeah, you'll be surprised with the, the backing you get from everyone. Yeah. So I'd, Love yeah. that. Um, I know I said last question, but something else just popped up, which I thought was interesting. Just quickly, 
how you just mentioned 10 years of ideas. How did you know that fella was the one? Like, did you try some other ones beforehand and they didn't work? Or was, were you like, you, you started, did you start any or was fella the one that you only pulled the trigger on? Uh, yeah, fella was the only one I pulled the trigger on. I think I've had, I've got Google Docs of designs and names and products. I think at one of my flats, I had like a box of prickly pear cactuses that I was making <laughs> pear juice out of and watermelon waters and stuff like that. So I think, um, no, I think it was, I, I went back to it. It was having someone else there to really kind of back up your ideas, um, you know, support them as well. And I think having the co-founder there was just awesome to bounce off and mm. to, um, you know, we're both excited about it. We're both on the journey together. So I think you stay a bit more motivated and excited about stuff when, you know, easily you could have been overwhelmed by the COVID opportunity, having, you know, a baby on the way, that type of thing. So I think yeah. uh, having having a partner like um, Andy has been kind of awesome to to get it rolling and get it up and running. Amazing. Love that. I also love that you call it the COVID opportunity. It's great. This, it's oh, um, yeah. I love the way that you framed it. It's like I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way in terms of it brings it, it actually, yeah, you're on a level playing field. 100%. And I think, um, you know, we all our opportunities, we look at that. Like if there is a challenge, like let's see how we can kind of make best use of it. You know, we've been around for three years now. I don't think we've had a normal, um, normal like a, a proper year of sales yet that hasn't been hampered by COVID or I think last year was Sydney's wettest summer on record. So oh, yeah. um, so we're looking at a, a hot, dry summer. So we're excited to kind of see where, obviously, um, we can take the brand. So I think that's what we joked about on the panel of <laughs> global warming is good for business. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, we don't like to say that yet. It's um, kidding. That was my saying. Not yeah. associated with fella whatsoever. Okay. I'll take the fault for that one. Uh, like, yeah, good weather is obviously when people want to drink, you know, light fish. Yeah. So I think um, we're excited for seeing what we can do on a kind of normal summer. Um, yeah. It's not too hot. And then, um, yeah, no. Yeah. No, I'm excited for you guys. It, I think especially what you've achieved in, yeah, with all of the challenges, you know, but I really love the story of, and I know it's not for everyone, but yeah, taking that leap and being able to, to you know, face the fear and, and you know, problem solve along mm. the way, I think is awesome because, yeah, people sit with Google Docs full of ideas that they'll never do anything about. Um, so I think you guys have an awesome story of diving in and not looking back and keep going and trusting your skill set as well. No, thank you. No, it's been an yeah. awesome and, um, yeah, looking yeah. forward to, to another year of it. So Yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. And thanks for all your advice today. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll see and enjoy lots of fellas in the next few months. Amazing. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Good to have you here.